This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Oh Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Start now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Let's Go There. Hi, Shira. Are you ready? I was born ready. <laughs> Came oh. out of the womb with a mic. You sure did. Doing it. The you game know. has started. Uh, so what's going on? Again, we've got a lot happening. Special guest Jay Rodriguez is joining us on the show today. So oh, excited. Yes. Because, you know, there's a Queer Eye reunion happening. Oh, my God. I did know. I saw the, the trailer for it, and I'm so excited. You know, Queer Eye, every time they come back together, I'm just like, wow, what a moment. They are really just so impact and impactful, and and they should be all, they always should be celebrating. You know what I mean? Well, it just seems like it's it's the gift that keeps on giving. Like he'll he'll never get away from that franchise, and it's an amazing thing to be part of, including with the reboot on Netflix. But Jay is joining us at three thirty-five p.m. Pacific, six thirty-five p.m. Eastern, and stick around because in thirty minutes we're going to be talking about LGBTQ veterans who got their benefits taken away from them, and now will that be remedied? That's in thirty minutes. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has decided to do something to address the root causes of the inequities that impact America. This week, she's launching a new select committee on economic disparity and fairness in growth. It's basically a forum that brings together representatives from all sides to intervene in the increasing divide that separates the parties and the country. Here she is sharing more. Maybe about 40 years ago, if you saw our economy, you would see if productivity rose... Worker pay rose, CEO pay rose. Within the past 40, more like 35 years, it started to be productivity rises, wages stagnate, CEO pay increases. I call it a right angle going in the wrong direction. To the point where some CEOs make in a few weeks what their entry level employees make in a lifetime. In a lifetime. Facts, Pelosi. In a lifetime. Facts. Uh, Now, we've been talking about this, the class action lawsuit against the Department of Education. Well, we've got some progress. The Department of Education will interpret Title IX, that federal law that protects students from sex-based discrimination in federally funded schools, to protect LGBTQ students from discrimination. The update is a reversal of a Trump administration policy rolling back Obama-era guidance that directed schools to allow transgender students to use the bathrooms, changing rooms, and other school facilities that aligned with their gender identity. Still don't think this fully solves the class action lawsuit, but this is a a bit of a progress from the Department of Education. And that does it for what's trending this hour, what's happening in Entertainment News, Ryan. All right. So uh, let's talk about uh, acting legend Rita Moreno and defending. um, Basically, she was in an interview. uh, Rita Moreno was. And she was defending in the Heights creator Lin-Manuel on Tuesday um, because he's been getting criticized for whitewashing in the Heights. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Now, if you didn't know, there's been so much backlash for a glaring lack of Afro-Latinx representation alongside many light-skinned and white-passing actors. 
actors in in the heights i actually really love the movie but i think you're allowed to love something but also critique it as well um here is the moment where marino asked uh uh, Colbert, Stephen Colbert, because that's the show she was on, if she could address the criticisms about uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Here's that cringy moment. And so are you saying that while you may understand where people's uh, concerns come from, that perhaps it's misplaced in criticizing him in this? Well, I'm simply saying, can't you just wait a while and leave it alone? There's a lot of people who are Puerto Riqueño, who are also from uh, Guatemala, who are dark and who are also fair. We are all colors in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is how it is. And I just, it would be so nice if they hadn't come up with that and left it alone just for now. I mean, they're, they're, really, they're really attacking the wrong person. Whoa. I mean, a lot of people are dragging her right now. Um, some, one person on Twitter said, you know, the needle doesn't uh, shift when a light-skinned Latina is asked how she feels about the need for a darker-skinned Afro-Latinx representation. Colorism doesn't affect her, but yet another disappointment from a much-beloved figure. Someone else said, disappointing, uninteresting, and uninspiring all at once. Uh, one other person said, big yikes. Um, and someone else said, she said folks should just shut up and wait. Um, which is really interesting. So let us know your thoughts. We can probably continue this conversation if we want to at some other part, uh, point of the show um, because I think it's really important. And uh, that's your tea report for right now. Now we're going to be getting into more on the long-awaited Biden-Putin meeting that happened today. Did I say meeting? <laughs> Putin meeting. It's a meeting. Uh, that's next with Politico after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin both described their highly anticipated summit meeting today as an amicable and constructive affair. But they offered few signs of progress in the U.S.-Russia relationship. Here to share more because this is like, this is juicy stuff, right? Politics, drama, controversy, all of it. But it's real life. Ryan Heath is back with us, senior editor at Politico. Thanks for being here. It's so good to join you again. Okay, so we got to know what went down at this meeting, because I think we've all been watching and waiting. Well, I think the thing to know from the outset is that Joe Biden has been skeptical and not trusting of Vladimir Putin from the day he first heard about the guy more than 20 years ago. So they have never been friends. And Joe Biden's goal today was to you know, begin a conversation but in no way looked like he was uh, a, a friend of, of, of Vladimir Putin. So Putin was already kind of messing things up by buying him a pair of aviated sunglasses, which is a pretty good gift if you want to kind of uh, project the image that you're going to be friends with Joe Biden and mess him up domestically. Uh, and then Joe Biden was much more along the lines of, no, I'm here to lay down the red lines. I'm here to tell you what the price is if you mess with America with cyber attacks on other issues. Um, and then by all accounts, they did have an amicable conversation, like everyone else in the meeting and the two people doing most of the talking say that that was the case. Um, but to, to go back to your introduction, um, I think that they, you know, were also pretty clear about what they disagreed on. Uh, Vladimir Putin made it very clear that he wasn't going to take lectures on human rights from the U.S. And he reeled off a list of complaints from Guantanamo Bay to police killings, uh, to what was going on in the Afghanistan war. Um, and Joe Biden wasn't having any of that. He just called a lot of the comparisons completely false and ridiculous. Uh, so basically, they had um, a sort of a, a level of civility, and it only went so far. And um, by you got, the time you got to the end of their respective press conferences, they were being, uh, you know, a lot more difficult about each other. So let's talk about, did how, did they touch on the hacking concerns at all at any point? Yes, so they did. And Putin denied that Russia was responsible for that attack on the gas pipeline, for example, and, and tried to suggest that actually most of this cybercrime happens in America and Canada and it's got nothing to do with him. Yeah, and he, we know that yeah. that is not true. Uh-huh. He's like the <laughs> ultimate gaslighter. Exactly. And he has a track record of saying things that happened in a meeting that turns out didn't really happen when a bit more investigation happens later on. So one word of warning for everyone listening is that we still don't know exactly everything that happened. And we're going to learn in the coming days and weeks uh, if Putin was giving at this press conference. And 
what Joe Biden did on these cyber attacks was say, like, here is a list of 16 areas. You touch our infrastructure in these areas and we are going to fight that. And if one of these attacks occurs in one of those 16 areas in the coming weeks and months, we'll know that Putin wasn't as sort of serious and straight as he was making out in his criminal. And when we say fight back, what does that even mean as it relates to Russia? Yeah, so Biden was not completely clear in his answer there. He talked about, uh, quote, uh, significant cyber capabilities, uh, but he also said he wasn't talking about a military response. So he's not going to bomb Moscow if there is a, a cyber attack, but he's yeah. going to use digital responses. Well, actually, it was really interesting. Um, there was a moment that Biden had to apologize to the press pool because he got a little snappy with them. Ooh, Do you think yes. that was telling of what really, truly happened between him and Putin? Because it seemed like he was irritated. Uh, no, I think, I think it was more telling about Biden's personality, actually. And, and, and I've got to be a bit careful in the way I frame this because I don't want to sound ageist or anything like that. But it's been a really tough week for him, and he is getting on towards 80 years old. So, I, I mean, honestly, I'd be a bit snappy, too, if I'd had the week that he'd had with, like, the, the endless schedule. And it was really a bit unfortunate for Biden that he sort of snapped at this moment. He was literally about a second, maybe two seconds away from going through the doors to exit a pretty flawless summit from his perspective and a pretty, you know, eight out of ten sort of week of all of these back-to-back summits with all the Democratic allies. And he really did not like a question that Caitlin Collins, the, the CNN chief White House correspondent, had asked him. And he sort of just turned on his heel and snapped at her. And at one point um, told her if she was a good journalist, she'd know the answer to the question that oh. she asked. Uh, and, you know, that's a really bad framing of the situation because what he, the message he wanted to get across to America today was that uh, America was being tough on Vladimir Putin and Putin is America's adversary. And he turned it into uh, American journalist uh, by his adversary. Totally. And, <laughs> Absolutely and, not what he wanted to achieve. And as an update to that, he did apologize on the tarmac after that because journalists did he bring did, it up. And then he yeah. went and basically did a second press conference and really tried to say, hey, you know, you know, American presidents aren't great at fully apologizing directly. But, you know, he, he went out to try and make good with the journalists. So, yes, I think he... I think he was told pretty clearly on the car on the way to the airport that he's messed up. Okay, well, thank you so much for all the updates. Uh, that was Ryan Heath, senior editor at Politico. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Coming up, uh, LGBTQ veterans lost their benefits decades ago. So will that finally be remedied? We look at that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, the healthcare system for the Department of Veteran Affairs provides care to more than 9 million veterans, but thousands of service members who have been discharged dishonorably for being LGBTQ aren't even entitled to those benefits. That number was estimated in 2019 to be 100,000 since World War II. So maybe it's time that this is finally fixed. Well, joining us right now is Alexander McCoy, a United States Marine Corps veteran and is also the political director of Common Defense, a national membership organization of progressive military veterans. Thanks for joining us. Hi, glad to be here. So this is really crazy to hear about. Why hasn't anything been done to remedy this situation? Well, the simple answer is it costs money and it requires attention from Congress to take action here. The the Department of Veterans Affairs has a process Uh, as does the Department of Defense, where individual veterans who were kicked out of the military for who they are can go back and try to appeal uh, to have their discharge upgraded and this black mark against their record fixed, uh, which would give them access to these benefits. But right now, the onus is on the veteran, and so many of these veterans have gone through a rough time after being kicked out and had their benefits taken away. Uh, And this process can be very opaque. It can be very difficult. It could require you to get a lawyer at your own personal expense and potentially spend years wrestling with the system. And we can do better than that. Yeah, we most definitely can. And I I thought what was so interesting uh, uh, in this article on LGBTQNation.com, it talked about like 
this has been happening for several years, and, and veterans have faced less benefits that honor those who are who served in protection of this country. But it's not just that. Um, employers and service providers can actually continue the discrimination once they ask to see a veteran's discharge papers. So that's just wild to me. So it's it's like, oh, they asked to see those papers, and they're like, oh, well, we still can't do anything for you. Is it that simple at this point for them just to discriminate against them? That's right. Yeah, we live in a world right now where it is legal in countless states across this country for employers to fire you for being gay, uh, for landlords to evict you for being gay, for healthcare providers to deny you health care. Uh, and that's why we also need Congress to pass the Equality Act, uh, which is going to get a vote this month in the U.S. Senate. Uh, which would amend uh, the Civil Rights Act to include LGBTQ status uh, under the protected categories from discrimination. A lot of people don't realize that this is still legal to do. Um, And this affects veterans who may have been discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. They're trying to get a job. You're, you know, sharing your resume with your employer. It says, between these years, I worked in the military. They say, oh, that's amazing. I support veterans. Can I see your discharge? And right there on that discharge, it'll say discharged for homosexual conduct. Uh, And it's just outed you to this potential employer. Uh, So this is a big deal. There's a lot of different ways that these injustices of the past are still a problem in an ongoing way for thousands of veterans. Yeah. So what's being done to change this? Like there obviously needs to be some sort of legislation. Yeah, there needs to be that. There needs to be legislation. Uh, There needs to be a proactive effort uh, that is funded by the government where the Department of Defense and the Department of Veterans Affairs use their records and proactively identify all of these veterans and proactively reach out to them and fix their records for them and connect them to the benefits that they deserved all along. Now, right now, the chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee, Congressman Mark Takano of California, has called for a commission to study this problem. Uh, That's a good first step. But we know what needs to be done. There needs to be an effort to go back and fix the injustice. Uh, And that currently isn't happening, and it needs to. Yeah, you're so right. It really does need to. And I think, you know, activists, especially queer activists, have been calling on the administration to do more than just say happy pride and walk in in capital prides and and things like Mm -hmm. that. This should be a part of that. Do you think we'll see the administration take a stance on this? Well, the the new administration under President Biden is definitely a lot more friendly to the LGBTQ community uh, than the previous one was. Uh, which took steps under President Trump to do things like banning transgender service members from serving, uh, doing a number of other anti-LGBTQ discriminatory policies. We're seeing those policies that the past administration did be fixed. And we're seeing a much greater representation up and down in the Department of Defense and the Department of Veterans Affairs of experts and policymakers who understand these issues, but we need bolder steps. And I'm actually quite confident uh, because of who President Biden appointed as the Department of uh, Veterans Affairs, as the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, uh, Dennis McDonough, who was the former chief of staff of President Obama. This is the kind of person that you put in charge of the department if you're serious about making real progress on policy and investing in helping veterans. So we're past the first 100 days. There hasn't been enough action on this yet. Uh, They're still very much focused on undoing the damage that was done over the past four years. But I'm hopeful that there will be uh, more action on this taken. And some of the first steps that we need to do is have everyone reach out to your representatives in the Senate to vote for the Equality Act that's being voted on this month. Yep. Well, that was Alexander McCoy, a veteran and also political director of Common Defense. Thanks for being here. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on and podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Thank you so much. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The movie In the Heights has been getting some backlash um, involving colorism. So, Which we talked about in the yes, T-Report a little bit exactly. earlier, but we wanted to have more of an in-depth conversation. Many people think that the film has fallen short in ways of representing Afro-Latinos in the movie. Uh, now, you saw the movie. I oh my God, I loved the movie. I thought the movie was so beautiful. It had me, I mean, honestly, it had me choked up in some parts. Uh, and Anthony Ramos, wow, he could choke me anytime. And then also the cast was just beautifully singing. I mean, they were just great. But... There's duality here where you can love something, but also critique it. Yes. And so the whole uh, cast and crew has been, oh, crew, the, you know, the director and writer has been cr- uh, criticized. John Chu, the director, Lin-Manuel Miranda as well. Um, specifically, it came from this interview they did with The Root where the interviewer asked them about this and they didn't handle it well at that point because it seemed like this was a looming conversation, right? And maybe if they had handled it better, would this have gotten as bad as, as it has gotten? Right. And, you know, it didn't help that Rita Marino (laughs) went on uh, Late Night with Stephen Colbert and answered the question and talked about it like this. And so are you saying that while you may understand where people's uh, concerns come from, that perhaps it's misplaced in criticizing him in this? Well, I'm simply saying, can't you just wait a while and leave it alone? There's a lot of people who are Puerto Riqueño, who are also from uh, Guatemala, who are dark and who are also fair. We are all colors in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is how it is. And I just, it would be so nice if they hadn't come up with that and left it alone just for now. I mean, they're, they're they're really attacking the wrong person. And, you know, I, I understand the criticism for that because right, Rita Marino is such a legend in uh, the Latinx community, especially for everything that she has been able to accomplish in her career. Um, and I think it was kind of damning and disappointing to hear her tell Afro, Afro-Latinx folks that maybe you should just wait. Let us have this moment and just wait in the back until it's your turn. And I think that's what the problem is where... Yeah, there was diversity in the dancers in the background in the salons, but historically that's what normally happens and it would have just been nice to see a change or a breakthrough when it comes to the principal actors. And it also feels like they know enough in, in terms of when we talk about representation, whether it be whatever backgrounds they are, John Chu and Lin-Manuel Miranda, then you never would say that it is enough to have someone in the background and that's representation. <laughs> that's not representation. Oh my God, true. And, and John Chu... <laughs> John Chu, I think that's where I felt like, wow, I don't think he was prepared to no, have they, this part they of the conversation. We've even talked about this. This was a major blind spot. And he yeah. even said, was like, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And uh, so Miranda has issued an apology saying, I can hear the hurt and frustration over colorism, a feeling still unseen in the feedback. I hear that without sufficient dark-skinned Afro-Latino representation, the work feels extractive and of the community. We wanted so much to represent with pride and joy in trying to paint a mosaic of this community. We fell short. I'm truly sorry. I'm learning from the feedback. I thank you for raising it and I'm listening, which I feel like that's a good statement to make. It's as good as it could be right now. And, you know, you can't go back, but we can move forward and do the right thing. Yeah, it's it's true. Um, um, yeah, I, I agree with that. You can't do anything about it now. The damage is done. The deed is done. I think people really overall loved the film. It didn't really reflect in the box offices because who was going out to the movie theaters to watch. But I think the movie really touched the people it was supposed to touch. And I think it represented something that people, even there's a large group of people that felt represented by the movie. But I do think there was more work to be done. 
at the end of the day, that's it. Point blank period. But I love In the Heights, and I think everyone should still watch it yeah. and support it. Okay. Seriously. At LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media, let us know what you think. Now, coming up, the awkward moment between a U.S. reporter and Putin. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Putin. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up this hour, Jay Rodriguez is joining us in 30 minutes to talk about the Queer Eye reunion happening. Reunion. (laughs) Oh my God, man. Reunion. Why can't I speak sometimes? I speak sometimes really well. It happens to all of us. It's okay, Queen. I just was so excited. No, there's a reason to be excited. It's Jay Rodriguez. The Queer Eye reunion. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Plus, uh, another talent has come out about being bullied by top fashion designer who just called out Chrissy Teigen for bullying him. Bullying on bullying on bullying. That's in the T-Report in a moment. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. ABC's reporter Rachel Scott asked Russian President Vladimir Putin a question, and it got awkward. But this is a good question. Of your political opponents who are dead, prisoned, or jailed is long. Alexei Navalny's organization calls for free and fair elections, an end to corruption. But Russia has outlawed that organization, calling it extremists. And you have now prevented anyone who supports him to run for office. So my question is, Mr. President, what are you so afraid of? Right, well, once again, I would like to repeat uh, what I said uh, about uh, so-called foreign agents and the people who um, say that they are part of the unauthorized... By the way, he didn't really ever answer the question. Uh, because he then blamed everything the U.S. is doing. Like, he was like, I'm bad. Look what the U.S. is doing. All the violence over there. Well, in your neck of the woods. Some points are made. And broken clocks are often right twice a day. <laughs> I've never heard you say that. No. Oh, my God. I've you, never even heard of that. Saying. Really? A broken clock is literally right twice a day. Or all the time. No, a broken clock is right twice a day. Okay. Because that's how clocks work. The hashtag trans men are men is trending on Twitter and the results are just heartwarming. As we know, transgender people have been under attack by Republicans in states across the nation as legislators are trying to push laws against the community. And after a call for support for transgender men went viral, the response will give you all the feels. So check it out. Hashtag trans men are men. And... Uh, now let's get into some what's trending this hour. That was a little, no, no, little, that was tea. No, that was what's trending this hour. Let's get into tea. Oh my lordy. It's okay, you know. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I'm a bit distracted right now. This Can we is just live. redo this, this whole is thing? real radio happening. Now, remember how we talked about Michael Costello speaking out against Chrissy Teigen? Well, plot twist, he's being called out now. It's time for the Tea Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. Here's the funny thing. After claiming that Chrissy Teigen's bullying behavior left him suicidal, the 38-year-old fashion designer now finds himself accused of hurtful and uncomfortable actions as well. In a very lengthy Instagram post uh, shared Tuesday, um, Leona Lewis, I remember her, Bleeding Love. That icon, yes. Um, She alleged that uh, basically Michael refused to dress her for a 2014 charity fashion show because of her size. She said this on Insta Story and was like, a long statement but she said this she said when I got to my fitting I was made to feel very awkward and uncomfortable as the dress was a sample side and he and his team clearly did not want to alter it to fit to me um, she said the alleged incident left Lewis uh, just very embarrassed and deeply hurt she said because I didn't look like a model size I was not permitted to walk in his dress I had to sit in the audience and was asked by press why I didn't walk in the show I remember having to come up with excuses as I was so humiliated by it all and my thing is no shame mm-hmm. I feel like I've talked about my history of working in the fashion industry for a while I've heard awful things about Michael Costello too and I didn't want to say anything because I think his what his experience was with Chrissy is very valid uh-huh. um, but I've also heard awful things about him as well just from pe- previous experiences of me working adjacent with him or someone working with him and um, I think it's really telling that you know everybody's awful 
<laughs> I think everyone has had their moments. Like, none of us are perfect. We've all had Everybody our moments. Everybody is awful is yep. what it seems like. If you're a celebrity and you, you know, you, you think your poop don't stink, it's because you need to be humbled. And, and, you know, some people need to be humble. And I hope this humbles him as well. That is your tea report. I got more coming up next hour. So stick around. Don't go anywhere. Hey, okay. Coming up, the makeup for men that wants to defy the gender binary. But does it really? We look at that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So many brands are launching makeup for men, you know, to push the boundaries of gender in the makeup world. But... Does it really? That's the question. Kyla Schuler is with us, a professor in the Department of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Rutgers University. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. No, I think when, when you think about this, like at first, on the surface, it's like, great, makeup, not just for women. But shouldn't there just be makeup for everyone? Why are we dividing it by gender at this point? Yeah, it's a very good question. Right, Because at first, it seems to be really defying a key attribute of femininity, which is that it's the job of women to look attractive for men. And makeup has long been considered part of that job, right? To look pleasing to the, to the world at large. So to have makeup brands for men seems to be really violating that fundamental law of sexism, that it's up to women to, be- to self-beautify. But Exactly. Why, why can't it just be makeup for, for all people? Um, I think part of the problem is that femininity is still remaining devalued. Right? And instead of us understanding femininity is something that all of us can have to various degrees, and femininity is long associated with things like self-expression and self-adornment and beautification, what would really be pushing a gender binary is if we said, hey, guess what? Men can be feminine too, and makeup is part of that femininity. Yeah, but my thing is there's even in when you're talking about uh, going into like the the nuances of even queer culture and being uh, gay men in our culture, um, there's this resistance of femininity. There's this resistance of trying to be too masculine or trying to just completely erase feminine folks altogether. And for me, I I, I think about and how that kind of plays into it, how it's basically just another form of toxic masculinity, you know, misogyny of the patriarchy all wrapped in a nice little package deal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What do you think about that? Absolutely. (laughs) And and even in in lesbian communities and even in lesbian feminism, you know, in a, in a lot of corners of lesbian feminism, the worst thing you can be is feminine, mm, right? Yeah. Like, it took so long for lesbians to even be able to wear lipstick and say, yes, I'm a feminist, <laughs> and I'm a lesbian, and I can wear lipstick. And so that's what would be really boundary-pushing, is if we said, you know what? Like, we all can have the pleasure of self-expression and self-adornment, and femininity is a form of power. Femininity does not mean you are just a tool of the patriarchy. But isn't, I guess the idea of saying makeup for men or makeup by men or for men still kind of inherently pushing this makeup is still gendered and it it doesn't fall into this, it falls into this binary kind of conversation that we're, we're having. Cause for me, it just, when I wear makeup, when I'm on camera or like, if you know, it's just Mm -hmm. like a little foundation, it's not like I'm going to the, to asking, where's the makeup for men? I'm just going, can I find my color in the perfect powder? I don't really (laughs) understand kind of still what even the marketing aspect of this looks like. Well, when you have a rod marketing it, you, a certain type of person, like a rod, like a quote unquote manly man would say, oh, Is he a manly now, man? <laughs> now, now I feel like I could wear makeup. What are your thoughts, Kyla? Yeah, I think, right, absolutely. And I think you said the right word was marketing. I think that's what it comes down to. And, and actually, categories like man and woman, male and female, are at this point as much about marketing as they are about anything, right? Like, we know they don't have the same kind of biological meaning they, they used to. Like, we know that there are lots of kinds of bodies that aren't just man or woman. Yeah. But man and woman has tremendous power when it comes to marketing, right? You try to buy Kleenex or earplugs or shaving cream. There's different products marketed for men and for women. And so makeup is kind of an obvious extension of that. And it seems to be more about extending that the, the power of marketing to men than it does to is it about actually eradicating a gender binary. Are you consulting with makeup brands to make sure this changes, or how does this work moving forward? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, at this point, the fact that places like the New York Times st- um, style section is having cover stories showing men in makeup, and we're still really at a new frontier of allowing men in makeup who aren't, say, in the punk scene, right? Like David Bowie broke that barrier 40 years ago. I think at this point we have to get more, uh, people at large have to get more used to the idea, and then we can start saying, you know what, there's just makeup. (laughs) There's not makeup for women or makeup for men. Okay. Um, But at this point it's too lucrative to market makeup for men specifically. That's true. That was Kyla Schuler from Rutgers University. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Coming up, Jay Rodriguez joins us to talk about the Queer Eye original cast reunion. That is next. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable, fact based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation, find your next credit card, or loan for a big purchase, and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So E! has this reunion road trip show, right? And tomorrow's episode is very special, okay? It reunites the original cast of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy to celebrate Jay Rodriguez's 40th birthday. We love Jay. Yes! Uh, And here's a moment from that. Oh my God, it's so cute. Worst nightmare is, what if you invited like an ex, what if there's like a weird, I don't know who's coming. So I know that there's like people coming, but I don't know how many, I don't know who. With my guys, you never know what to expect. Oh! Oh Mr. Sutton! Okay, look, it's Ralphie. Okay, that's a moment from the show, and guess what? We've got Jay Rodriguez joining us right now on Let's Go There. Welcome back, and happy birthday! Thank you so much. So good to speak to you guys. What's yeah, up, it's Jay? so crazy because I feel like you were already at my 40th birthday party. And I guess Carson pitched to the network when we were talking creative. They said, what should we do? And Carson said, let's do Jay's 40th. And I wanted to say, you were there at my 40th. Oh, Carson. my God. Yeah, that's why I was like, <laughs> it was over Zoom. Yeah. Is, is this like no, Groundhog's I'll be, Day? I'll be 42 in, on Tuesday, but they aired the show during my birthday week. And I let them say the 40. I say I'm my age all the time online. People know the truth. But I'm excited because this is 18 years ago. We were shooting the show before it aired. And obviously, we'd never know the, the cultural impact that would have or anything that you know, you're just doing a job. And and, um, you know, I wasn't necessarily the most celebrated when I was on the show. So this is a turn of events for me. Oh. Yeah. How does it feel? One, I think I always think about Queer Eye's impact. And so many years mm-hmm. after it and like so many things, you we just still know your name. We still know the original, you know, Fab Five. How does that feel yeah. that the impact is here to stay? It's not going anywhere. Right. It's wild because, you know, I came from half a decade uh, before Queer Eye. I was starring in Rent, a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural show, uh, and then did a play at Lincoln Center about racism, talking about microaggressions in 2000, and then played a gender nonconforming character in 2003 at night while shooting Queer Eye during the day. So it was interesting to be a part of the queer explosion, us, Will and Grace, L Word, Boy Meets Boy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all these kind of shows. But I was the only person of color who was out 
at the time in that movement. And now if you look at the current cast, they check so many boxes of diversity. We have far much more inclusion. So it's a mixed bag. I carry um, what I remember my experience was, which was an all positive. I carry that, but I'm also so inspired by the legacy continuing to grow and and and, and evolve. You know, the theme of the party um, that I'm going to be doing at Beaches West Hollywood, anyone can come on by. Y'all are my VIP guests, so I know I'll see y'all on the VIP. I'm be there. We're there. Extra. I want to make it extra because everything I, I was told to tone down, not just comedically in this Thursday night episode, but in life at the time, I want to celebrate this Thursday. I want people to know that no matter how you identify, how much glitter or how your hair, uh, whether it's its texture, its length, its color, whoever you are, that you are perfect just as you are. And so that's where the category is extra at my birthday party this year, because I want people to celebrate the thing that maybe people told them to tone down a little. Love that message. And what was it like for everyone to come back together? I mean, I know you've been in touch with the rest of the cast, but was this the first time you've been shooting together It felt like, because I didn't go to my high school reunion, it felt similar in the sense that we talk on text, but you know, you can lose a lot in translation, but to be sharing the same space. And this, if anyone loved the original episode, this feels like an episode. We're back in the car. We have a mission. We have a task. Um, so it was like doing an episode together, the good and the bad. I remembered <laughs> yeah. all the time we got on set and things weren't going right with technical elements of the makeover stuff. And I was like, oh, see this part? I do not miss this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But um, the vibe of the friendship, I always say we're not best friends. The original Queer Eye guys are brothers bound by this experience that we share together. And so I think what people have said who've seen it, because it's streaming all month long on Peacock, but on E! Thursday night at 9 is that it's really heartwarming and it's a love letter to the show. And so I'm holding out. I'm going to watch it in real time uh, with everyone on Thursday night. All right. So we got, we're got we wrapping up here, but I want to leave this moment to promote anything else that you have going on because you're just so fabulous and so busy always. And uh, I'm just well, thanks. You. you know, this year I've been keeping people company going uh, live on, on my Facebook at 4.30 p.m. Pacific and on Instagram at 5.30 p.m. So if you are around, you want to say, hey, Kiki, have some Trivia Tuesdays or whatever I'm up to. Uh, come on by. There's always space for you. And uh, as always, thank you for having me on. You've been so generous with your time over the past uh, year since, uh, and change since I left uh, Channel Q. And you've always made space for me. And I, I, I just so appreciate the both of you. Oh, we love you. Of course, of course we have. That's like there's no other choice. <laughs> well, I will see you Thursday. Yes. And happy birthday <laughs> right. again. Thank you you're so gonna, much. Love you're going to always be 40 forever. <laughs> That's right. Just hopeful 40 and holding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, now, again, Reunion Road Trip is uh, airing on E! tomorrow, 9 p.m. with the Queer Eye cast. Now, coming up, this reporter went rogue and called out her own company live on air. What went down next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. <laughs> So Ivory Hecker, who's 26, was introducing a report on recent weather in Houston on Fox. Oh, it's Fox 26. She's not 26, but she she looks like she seems young. Um, So that's when she made this announcement about speaking to Project Veritas and basically outed her employer. Here's the clip. Story. I want to let you, the viewers, know that Fox Corp has been muzzling me to keep certain information from you, the viewers. And from what I'm gathering, I am not the only reporter being to, subjected to this. I am going to be releasing some recordings about what goes on behind the scenes at Fox because it applies to you, the viewers. I found a nonprofit journalism group called Project Veritas. It's going to help put that out tomorrow, so tune into them. But as for this heat wave across Texas, you can see. Well, that's awkward. I mean, and did she expect to keep her job after that? I don't know. Did she speak? Has she spoken out so, about it? Yesterday afternoon, Project Veritas, which bas- uh, by the way is a right wing media watchdog that exposes media hypocrisy, they released audio from a phone call. It reports to be between Hecker and Fox 26 assistant news director Lee Meyer, where Meyer informs Hecker she has been suspended. And later, uh, Hecker told the Daily Beast she had been fired. So. What, they wanted to release that she was suspended? I mean, one, the question is if she wasn't deserving, obviously, but... I want to know, because you said Project Veritas is a right-wing, a right-wing, like, company, yeah, right? Yeah, So my thing is, is that, was she, like, spewing, like, kind of, like, low-key QAnon conspiracies? 
Is that what she was like? Oh my god, I have so much to tell you, and I'm being silent, and it's like a cure, uh, like a, a Q and I kind of thing. Like this is wild to do that. I'm hoping she didn't think she was going to be able to keep her job after that because what a way to risk it all. It was that's wild to me. I don't know what they were trying to silence her and why so, she felt yeah. silenced. But yeah, this tell is us more. interesting. She said to the Daily Beast, "I've been longing to part ways with a strange, slightly unhinged corporation since last August when I realized what they were. You didn't know what." Fox was when you got there. The piece with Project Veritas doesn't touch what they did. Fox 26 knows I'm fearless. I mean, uh, she also said that she would turn down Fox News. They wanted to bring me up to the network. I met a lot of execs there. I don't want to talk to them anymore. It came from one of the top execs there that what I needed to succeed was to get in line with the narrative. Oh, so that's part of it. I am so concerned for her. I mean... That's not, not that really because but. it's just like she just did her own thing. I just, like I, that's just a, I could not imagine just oh wait, listen putting to everything on fire. She also said, um, according to Project Veritas, she will be blowing the whistle on the journalism industry and discuss her claims of corruption and censorship at Fox Twenty Six. I mean, I respect something like this, like information that needs to get out there. Not if it's like based uh, in QAnon stuff. Well, no, it seems like she's talking about Fox and how they acted in corruption and all that. Um, meaning, but like, why would pro- that's my thing is it's really interesting who she's aligned with. No, she's going with. to pro- um, a media watchdog. It happens to be a conservatives. But anyway. that's still, I think that's pretty telling of like why she felt like they would be the people to go to to tell the story because their their ideologies and their I think their things probably align. And so for me, that's a little telling in itself that she went to them and they're picking this up. Um, yeah, I don't know, sis. That's weird. That's weird. Yep. So let us know what you think at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. Would you want to hire something, something, someone like this? Let us know. But coming up, Apple is letting like over 100 countries censor LGBTQ plus content in the App Store. More details next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up this hour of the show, why we take unfollowing on Instagram so personally. That's in 15 minutes. Plus, what legend Jane Fonda had to share with Demi Lovato on their latest podcast episode. And some really uh, big news to follow that story. Okay. That's also a part of this. That's in the tea with Ryan in a moment. Podcast. Yes. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Vice President Kamala Harris held a private dinner Tuesday night for the female U.S. senators. It's a show of bipartisanship among a deeply divided Congress. She invited all 24 female senators. That's 16 Democrats and eight Republicans. Why did it say in this 1516? Who did the math wrong? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, Democrats were tweeting this. This comes from Senator Debbie Stabno, a Democrat from Michigan, saying, what a wonderful bipartisan women's senator dinner at our VP's residence. And this is the first time it seems like Harris has brought anyone to this area, this space, because she just moved in in April. So there you go. That's really nice. I like that. It kind of reminds me of the Princess Diaries, too, when um, Princess Mia had a whole uh, summer party, like as her engagement party, invited all the princesses over. If you remember, you know, you know, you know. Uh, and Raven Simone and and uh, what's the what's the British lady from the Mary Poppins and uh, the oh. Sound of Music? Oh. oh, my goodness. I can't remember. Now <sighs> I. Yeah, this is bad. Oh, are you kidding me? It's. It's oh, uh, oh my god! Are you serious, Julie Andrews? That took way too long. During Pride Month, we both should be flagged. <laughs> but it reminds me of that, and I think it's just really sweet to see that she took that extra step and did something like that. Yes, agreed. Now, Victoria's Secret is getting rid of its angels and wings. The company has hired new representatives, including soccer star Megan Rapinoe and actress Priyanka Chopra. Jonas, those are great models for Victoria's Secret. Yeah, but Victoria's Secret should stop trying because well, no one's ever going to I mean, look at them the same. Especially not with uh, with Rihanna around with Savage Fenty. I know, but it's not going anywhere. They're not going to just close up shop. They got to do something. But no one's going to pay attention to them. Well, we already are. Here's that headline. No, that's you. You picked that headline. <laughs> I know because it's trending on Twitter. Boom. Now, a group of tech researchers and activists has released a new report that says that many LGBTQ plus apps are available in some countries, but not others on the Apple App Store. 
In a statement about their findings, the digital rights group Fight for the Future said that over 50 LGBTQ plus apps have been made unavailable in the app stores internationally in 152 countries. Now that is not good, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more from Apple very soon. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, Demi Lovato um, has episode five of 4D with Demi Lovato, and this week's guest is the one and only Jane Fonda. She, uh, Jane Fonda, basically joins Demi to talk about the patriarchy and this critical fight for our climate, um, basically, and also to talk about their organization, Fire Drill Fridays. Here is a, a piece of that conversation. Um, because, wow, I can't honestly uh, wait to hear what Jane Fonda had to say, but here you go. And if you don't start living your life for you, it's going to be your demise. So I woke up and I, I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my truth. And no matter who it scares, no matter who in the patriarchy it shakes, I'm going to live my truth for me. Um, you're getting emotional and I'd love to, to hear from you. What's going on? <laughs> Uh, you know what you're saying is so brave. Thank um, you. It's so so brave. I wish I could hug you right now. Um, oh, I wish I could hug you too. Yeah. I mean, I'm obsessed oh. with Demi. Yeah. Um, really cool announcement. I'm actually a part of Pride and Odyssey's Pride series. I got the privilege of speaking with Demi this week. It's airing actually tomorrow on Odyssey's Facebook. Yay. And you should check it out. It's a, about a 20-minute conversation of us talking about what how Pride has shifted and changed for them and uh, their chosen family and even how their you know their parents have um, you know reacted to their pronouns. And then also we touched on that whole diet culture scheme that happened a few months ago as well. And so we really talked about it all. And so along with 4D with Demi Lovato, check that out. But then also tune in tomorrow to check it out as well. Our conversation on Odyssey's Facebook Live. It's happening. I'm so excited. And that's your tea report. I'm excited to check that out. Thank you. Now coming up, the psychology behind why we take it personally when someone unfollows us on social media. You know, modern day problems, first world problems. That's next. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in to navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Getting unfollowed on social media by someone can hurt and can even trigger a trauma response. This stuff is serious. That's a little dramatic, don't we think? Well, I'm gonna, we're going to get into All it. Right. Here to share why this happens is Hala Abdul, registered clinical counselor working in BC. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, this is a juicy convo because, uh, and listen, it's not just for people that have are influencers and have a lot of followers, but I think even any person might take it personally why do you think that totally. is yeah totally i think it really applies to all of us um i mean look here's the thing if you find that your um follower count is really impacting your mood and maybe even the way that you feel about yourself it's a pretty natural thing it happens for a good reason so let me explain it this way think about a coin that's got two sides right mm-hmm. on the one side you've got your attachment needs so that's going to be your need to connect to belong to love to feel accepted even to feel special and important Now, on the other side of that coin, you've got your attachment fears, and we're all born with them, right? So that's going to be that fear of rejection, inadequacy, abandonment. And so when our attachment needs are not being met, and it's even worse when our fears are being triggered, Mm -hmm. uh, that sends your body into a primal panic. That's where you get that heart-sinking feeling when you notice that your follower count has actually gone down. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it makes sense, um, but it feels like, 
how can you stop yourself from being so like connected in that way that it, it gives you all of these kind of reactions or emotional responses? Because that, that for me personally, social media has never really kind of had that impact, but I, I understand the impact that it mm-hmm. does have on mm-hmm. so many folks where these like trigger responses kind of pop up. But how do yeah. we kind of disconnect from that so we don't have to deal with that? Totally. That's a great question. So basically, it's going to be different for all of us. So for you, maybe you're not feeling like you're really losing sleep over it. And that's probably a great thing. Likely means that your self-worth is not directly reliant on your on your number of followers or engagement. Right. Now, for others, you know, one might say, oh, just like check it fewer times a day or do this or that. I don't quite believe in that because at the end of the day, you want to go for something sustainable. So I would say it's about having a deeper conversation with yourself to figure out what your relationship to social media is. So you might be want to be asking yourself, why am I on it? What am I trying to get out of it? What would happen if I was not on it for very long? Um, and you might want to just kind of figure out what's going on for you there. And it's going to be different for each person, right? So for some people, it's going to be their way of connecting with the world, or it might be their way of showing the world a side of themselves that they really like, right? And so you might want to ask yourself some of these questions to just kind of figure out what is it that's going on for me? And just having that deeper conversation with yourself and I know this is pretty abstract and so you could do it on your own and if you're feeling really stuck you could always um, talk to a professional but you don't need to you could just be having this conversation on your own yeah is this something you're seeing more of in terms of anxiety these days yeah big time Mm. big time and I so I actually primarily work with executives right and so with 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 my work with them a lot of it is about Um, kind of how their name is being put out there, and especially for folks that are primarily dominant on Instagram, where that's how they get their work done. Mm, Um, Maybe I should uh, hire you as my therapist. I'm saying (laughs) she knows what she's talking about. Yeah, continue. Sorry. (laughs) No, just say the word. I got you. Um, So, But then even if it's someone who's not an executive, say it's just um, a student or someone who's a little bit younger in age, it affects us because it's, you know, that's how we, we kind of feel like, well, do they not like me? Why did they unfollow me? Why would someone go out of their way to do that? And that's where that can kind of trigger that trauma response. It's completely natural. But at the same time, we're all also naturally resilient, meaning that we, it is manageable and you can find a way to manage it or completely overcome it. So do you think there's any responsibility on uh, actual social media companies to kind of help flag some of these moments? Because I, I do think we have these conversations about how social media impacts people's mental health, blah, blah, blah. And I mm-hmm. think it's important to also have some of these companies kind of be held accountable for the way that mm-hmm. they've shifted our culture completely. Oh, absolutely. I think so. I think there was some discussion about that, um, about Facebook, not not so long ago. And yeah, I think so, because at the end of the day, say there's cyberbullying or say there's things that are harassment, really, that's going on. In some ways, I do think that the provider should bear some responsibility. But at the same time, I don't know that there's a perfect solution to that one, because because of technology, people can kind of post things and it might take a while until it goes down or until it um, until it's flagged. Wow. I I love this. I I could talk to you more about this, but not Mm -hmm. necessarily on the show right now. Um, Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That was Hala Abdul, a registered clinical counselor working in BC, Canada, fellow Canadian. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. In a memo to lawmakers that CNN got... On Monday, the FBI warned about QAnon that followers have begun to doubt the conspiracy theories mantra, which is trust the plan, and instead could start making a more proactive stance against those they perceived as being involved in what they say is this nebulous world of child sacrifice and Satanism. Okay, so they're saying we're taking this offline, folks. Watch out. And this is actually pretty disturbing and concerning to the FBI. They included in this assessment that these followers, uh, QAnon followers, want to move digital soldiers into something much more focused on offline violence. That means targeting, quote, perceived members of the cabal, such as Democrats and other political opposition, instead of continually awaiting Q's promised actions, which have not occurred. They're like the um, Charlie's Angels that are waiting for Charlie. No Charlie. Right. They're waiting for this mysterious cue to ask them to do something next. And there's no cue. Can I just make an announcement really quickly? Of course. Oh, channel cue. 
is not a part of QAnon. For any guest, future celebrity, or any listener out there, Channel Q has no affiliation with that QAnon mess. We came up with it first before QAnon even existed. We are queer, and we are Channel Q, and I just need to make that quick little announcement. You know, uh, thank you for that message. You know it's out there at this point. I actually think we would... That's a great viral video or something like that. We should make a video talking about how we were Q before Q and how they stole <laughs> our idea. QAnon is a ripoff. Please yeah, expect our I lawyers. Yeah, I huge. Like this channel Q, LGBTQ plus like radio station, media platform talks about how they since QAnon started, their life has been a living hell. Yeah. You know, I feel In more ways than that. victimized by QAnon because of the amount of times we have guests come on saying they had to double check if they wanted to come on the show. Or how many guests did we lose? <laughs> how many guests have we lost possibly because they thought we were a QAnon station? I think we could get a pretty big thing out of this. Some money out of it is just for emotional torment I mean, and loss. I'm telling you, there's some sort of marketing thing here <laughs> that we're missing. I know y'all have been thinking it, but I just wanted to make sure we all talked about it because what we think about and what we talk about closed doors, we're always going to bring them to the, to the air. Of course. Yeah. We're real here. Mm-hmm. So does this worry you? Not the fact that Q is the same thing. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> name is us right. but does this worry you like this it, uh, the fbi has come out with this it's not just random politicians this is the fbi saying that this is something to worry about no for sure i think um as we continue to see um here's the thing as we continue to see q grow in ways that feels unstoppable it kind of feels like this super villain that's just getting stronger and stronger by the minute and no one has any clue on how to stop it because it's now being in, it's embedded it's kind of embedded in our our country's DNA unfortunately and also in, embedded in our government because we have pure QAnon followers and believers in government right now Marjorie Marjorie Taylor Greene believes in QAnon right and so for me it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere um, it's actually quite alarming to to know this and that the FBI is kind of warning us um, but it's something we already know but my thing is how do we fight it how do we stop it do we can we probably not or even if like keep this not underground but imagine like if the FBI people know about it but then don't give it the attention maybe they'll just think oh well we're not what we're doing doesn't matter However, if maybe they they know people know, do they stop? I mean, how do you even handle people that are completely irrational? I have no idea. And groups of people. You can't. Because guess what? They they believe it so much that it's but it's a whole thing at this point. It's not going anywhere. And they probably um, thought it was a win that there was no investigation into the January 6th attacks, even though Nancy Pelosi has said she's moving forward into some sort of investigation. And the fact that everyone that was arrested basically got away with it, like with no real punishment. It kind of becomes a joke. At any rate, let us know what you think at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. As always, are you worried about this latest from the FBI? Let us know. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. This one goes to a gay couple who are celebrating their 25th anniversary. How sweet is that? They actually met at a Pride celebration. Yep, 25 years ago. We love to see it. Yeah, they said, uh, and Gary Hess is one of them. Trevor Burgess is the other. Hess said, we were at Pride block party in Boston. I saw him across a crowded room and the rest was history. So cute. Uh, And now Burgess is the founder of C1 Bank, which became C1 Financial. Basically, they have a lot of money. And they have a child, so they're doing good. Well, in honor of their anniversary, they decided to honor their own relationship and share it with others. They picked 10 organizations, and they're giving out 10 $25,000 gifts. How amazing is that? I mean, it's pretty huge, right? I love that. I think everyone's just in a very good uh, charitable mood. Yeah, well, that's a total of $250,000. Woo! Hello. Oh, my God. Can I have a dollar? <laughs> You should tweet them. And this isn't the first time the couple has done something like this. Uh, Last summer, during the height of the pandemic, they donated at least 10,000 masks to the city of St. Petersburg. They then implored local residents to donate and share 10,000 more. So they're just basically amazing people. 
and uh, a couple to be inspired by. Oh, I'm inspired by them. I mean, gay couple goals. Oh my God, I almost thought when you said Trevor Burgess, that's also Titus Burgess. I know. I thought when I saw this at first, I was like, oh no, it's Trevor. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's so cute. And they get our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yeah. Yes, queen. And hopefully that inspires you to do some good, whatever you can do for others. Yeah. And another uh, yes, uh, yes, queen shout out goes to Laganja Estranja. We talked to, about her earlier in the um, in the show, literally just earlier this hour. And um, I'm so happy that she is living her truth and came out as trans and just living the best life because she is a friend of the show. She. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since we've had her on. Maybe we should bring her back. I think it's time. Yeah, I love her. And that does it for our show today. But we are back tomorrow. We're going to be talking about what a Title IX lawsuit might mean for religious universities because that does involve the LGBTQ community and students who continue to fight back. But hopefully they will no longer have to. Plus, has the pandemic helped Americans finally embrace aging? We're diving into that on the show tomorrow as well. Again, we're live for you here on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern weekdays. And if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. So just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Stick around for Loveline with Dr. Chris, where he's covering how to deal with erectile disappointments. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.